You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 195. I'm your host, Andres Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey, son, hey, son! Hello there, how are you? Hey, son, how are you? Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> very good. How are you guys? Very good, very good. Ready to go on my, go on my next tour in about five hours' time. Jeez, where are you going? Yeah, Malaysia. Malaysia, oh. wow. Amazing. Yeah, so I might not be able to join in for the next uh, episode, but uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll solve that somehow. I'll try, Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I cannot promise anything. Okay, good, good. How are things on the other end of the world, Yelena? Oh, you know, same old, same old. <laughs> different different days, same, same shit. same old orange fucker? <laughs> it's all about upcoming elections, candidates, and smearing campaigns. <laughs> is it really something over there that is an important part of people's everyday lives? Or it's something that interests you so much that you, you keep listening to news covering that? Well, I think I started even when I was in, in, in the UK. I was just fascinated. Here, it's more in your face. Okay. Yeah. And I think this... So like the, all the democratic candidates are now kind of campaigning like mad. However many, like all 105 of them. <laughs> and it's became this huge circus. Mm -hmm. like, nobody can agree on anything. <laughs> On anything. Yeah, it's an interesting one. But um, we'll see. My money are on a Trump, by the way. Winning second time. <laughs> okay, okay. Well. No, I don't like him. I, no, don't no. get me wrong. <laughs> I don't like him. Let's not get very pessimistic here. <laughs> oh, are, are talking about pessimistic, have you heard the news about about us? I mean, it's, it's old news. I should have talked about that weeks ago. But the elections... We had local elections for local councils. Well, turns out that uh, Orban and his party is not invincible. Yeah, you know, I saw he Because... was worried about something. I didn't catch the details. Well, f for starters, the mayor of Budapest is now one of the, the leading figures of the opposition. And many local councils have elected opposition party members. And uh, even my party that I'm a member of and I'm, I used to be a candidate of, Momentum, overall in the country, they gained 133 seats in local councils. Mm -hmm. And we now have three mayors of different towns as well. Something has started. My worry is that we are going to be even more divided, politically speaking, as a nation after this, because Orban will start pushing harder for his own, own agendas. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. I hope the political landscape is uh, calm and not very tense in uh, Sweden, Pontus. Well, actually, to be honest, the Sweden Democrats that I ha have such a dislike for, they are becoming bigger and bigger in the polls, but uh, oh. there's no election coming up just yet, so we'll see. But on a more positive side, I have, <laughs> other, I have other news. I'm going to co-host a skeptic quiz in Lund this week. Lund is the neighboring uh, university city. 
mm-hmm. uh-huh. which will be fun. Uh, it's it's the night before this show goes out, so it will be too late to join now if you hear this. But uh, if you, I was looking at the calendar, the events calendar that we have, and this Wednesday is uh, really a killer. I think there are eight or ten different events in Europe going on at the same time. So there's a lot of things happening <laughs> in the skeptical movement and you should really take your time and look at the calendar once in a while. It's just it's just fun and very encouraging to see how much is going on. Yeah, we, we haven't been promoting our skeptical calendar for a while. So uh, yeah, I think it was uh, a really a timely comment. Mm-hmm. People should check it out more often. Yeah. Well, we are trying hard to revive the movement uh, here in Hungary because it's been very slow and it's, it's it's been very quiet in the last couple of months and years. All of us have been too busy dealing with the political issues mostly, which is in a way understandable, right? When we talk about all of the, the issues that skeptics cover, starting with fake news and all the political ads, and we we're gonna get back to that a little bit later. All right, but uh, let's focus on what we have here and now, and that is an almost complete segmented episode. Apparently, nothing has happened this week in skepticism, or at least, at least we're uh, we're not going to talk about that. We're skipping this week in skepticism and moving straight onto the moment when Pontus pokes the Pope for something. Yes, yes, just a short one this week, but important, I think. Francis has repeatedly claimed that he's concerned by the sex abuse scandals, and I have repeatedly said that he's more concerned about the PR problem uh, that it brings. And the latest example of this is that there's an ongoing investigation in the UK, in Leicester, about sex allegations. There is an ongoing bishops' conference this week with hearings of local people and representatives. But the lead counsel of the inquiry, Brian Altman, had also called for the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, that's the good old Inquisition, to come and testify on any information they would have about this affair. Uh, Altman contacted the Vatican Embassy to get some help in this matter. But now as the inquiry has started and is underway, there has been no reply whatsoever. Now, the the Vatican Embassy, under the leadership of Archbishop Edward Adams, they have diplomatic immunity and they don't have to show up or testify or, or even reply. They don't have to do that. But it goes to show that the Vatican has really no interest in finding these villains and making sure that they get punished. When push comes to shove... They are not collaborating with getting the truth out there. Mm-hmm. So th- that's just what you could expect. But let's not forget that uh, when Francis says he wants to fix the problem, he's not talking about getting people into jail. He's talking about making sure that we don't talk about it more. But he's so convincing to a lot of people that it's fascinating to me to see how many of of his followers think that he's very progressive and he's this kind of person who gets things done. But it's just not the case. I'm using your segment, actually, a a lot of the times. (laughs) uh, Because uh, when when I'm in a situation that someone tells me how great Pope Francis is, I bring out uh, a couple of these examples and they are very surprised. Mm. How how can this be? Yeah, Yeah, well, your guy is just all talk 
and no show. Yeah, that's that's right. Mm. Yeah. I just wanted to do one extra excursion here because this is a random fact I learned this week. <laughs> so maybe this is the this week segment. The Swedish Queen Christina. This is a bit of a history lesson. The Swedish Queen <laughs> Christina, who never got married and who resigned way back in 1654. So it's not just fresh news. This is old news. She resigned in 1654 to go to Rome and she converted into Catholicism. But she doesn't seem to have been a lesbian after all, which is what I've been told all these years. Very interesting stuff here. According to newly found letters, a couple of months after getting to Rome, then Pope Alexander VII had to sternly instruct one Cardinal Desio Asolino not to visit her room so often and absolutely stop doing it during the night as it was becoming a big scandal. So juicy stuff that's just come up oh. 300 years later. But it's an also a reminder, of course, there's always been hanky-panky going on in the Vatican and don't let them tell you otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> it's one way to put it. <laughs> yeah. It looks like to me that a Swedish uh, queens and Swedish princesses they are not always cautious enough <laughs> not to get into trouble when it comes to the, the public uh, appearance of their acquaintances. Mm-hmm. I think um, Victoria was considered by many to have been closer than should to Axel Munte. Yes, uh, because yeah. because they spent a lot of time together on, yeah, yeah. Ca- uh, on the island of Capri. Yeah, I think uh, they just even though I think it's it's completely plausible that they had nothing else but friendship going on, the public really took them onto their mouth. So, yeah. Uh, well, let's leave these uh, Swedish princesses and, and queens alone and uh, move on to a couple of things that are happening now on the continent of Europe. And there is something I'd like to start with that uh, we have mentioned already in a way because it was announced that it would be happening. <laughs> and that is the release of a new book by Massimo Polidoro, the, one of the founders of CICAP, the Italian skeptical organization, and prolific, absolutely prolific writer and skeptic. So this time his book is... Uh, he, um, the, the last couple of books um, of his were mostly covering people of great interest to many, including Leonardo da Vinci, or it was uh, one of the, the his books was on the secrets and treasures of the Vatican, another one uh, that was written on the Colosseum. But this time he is focusing on all the bogus claims, all the misinformation and all the fake news and pseudosciences that are circulating out in the public. And the title of the book is Il Mondo Sotto Sopra, which uh, translates to The Upside Down World. Now it is available. You can order it on Amazon or other vendors. However, it's only available in Italian, I'm afraid. So you need to understand Italian in order to enjoy that book. But uh, knowing how Massimo writes and uh, his style, I think if you do give it a try, you will definitely enjoy it. 
Good. And he considers this and, and he intends this to be used as a kind of a handbook for skeptics, as a, as a go-to book and a go-to source or a first source when you want to consider or, or want to assess certain claims that have been talked about in the past. All right. We have a pure science news item now. And since it concerns our favorite, not so favorite topic, measles vaccination, I mm -hmm. uh, wanted to get, well, measles disease, really. Vaccination, of course, exposes your immune system to something that teaches it to recognize a disease without giving you the actual disease. That's how it works. And that, that way your immune system can attack it as soon as it comes into your body at a later stage. Now, the anti-vaccination movement will tell you that this is no good and that actually getting the measles will not only be very mild, it will also boost your immune system and make you stronger. That's what they say. Well, what do you know? There's a new study out last <laughs> week. <laughs> uh, last week, looking at children from a community in the Netherlands that had a lot of measles going on, and they showed in the study that it's actually completely the other way around. The study looked at children who had had the measles and found that the disease really wiped out up to 73% of their protective antibodies, leaving them unprotected against the many other diseases. Professor Stephen Elledge, a geneticist and one of the co-authors, said, and I quote, We've found really strong evidence that the measles virus is actually destroying the immune system. The threat measles poses to people is much greater than we have previously imagined. End quote. So, the old trope that the measles just make you stronger, it's a natural way of building your immune system, turns out not just to be wrong, but absolutely the other way around. Who could have guessed it? It's, it's, it's scary stuff, isn't it? Mm. It is. Because that means that whatever your immune system has acquired immunity to can completely go away. Yeah. Or at least parts of it. And it has very serious consequences. Yeah. By the way, why do you think they looked at the specific community in the Netherlands? Because there they found an orthodox Protestant community that was mm. that is very uh -huh. hesitant regarding vaccinations. So there was a lot of sick kids there to investigate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Get your vaccinations, people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of the more the, the the serious issues with this is that uh, those communities that would need it the most, this command to get their kids vaccinated, they are the ones that have absolutely deaf ears when when it comes to vaccinations. They will not accept anything like this because they have already made up their minds yeah. it becomes a communication issue that we very often come across in the skeptical community yeah well i'll tell you one, one thing we're living in very interesting times where daily mail out of all newspapers is um, coming out as being very vocal against homeopathy and all things quackery so <laughs> yeah. I honestly never thought that um, that will be the case. But obviously, they, they're probably either selling <laughs> their advertisement better when they publish something like this, or something must have been working for them because mm -hmm. they continue doing it. And it's um, going back to the one of the topics we started in the past show or two around homeopathic pharmacy Ainsworth. 
they have been exposed uh, for being very wrong for selling uh, homeopathic remedies for things like measles and uh, other diseases that are supposed to be treated by vaccines. Um, and so they were selling homeopathic vaccines, which we know is nothing but, you know, sugar water or sugar pills. And then they also selling guides for the mother and a child rem- uh, remedy prescriber that gives mothers a choice if they don't want to give kids uh, real uh, remedies of what other homeopathic remedies they can use. Amongst other things, what I wanted to mention uh, this week is the fact that uh, Ainsworth uh, Pharmacy has a royal warrant. And uh, Edzard Ernst, who we always quote uh, on our show and um, who writes a lot about the alternative medicine, he was calling on removing this uh, royal warrant from the pharmacy as soon as possible. Because essentially, this royal warrant provides people with some sort of a stamp of approval. And when they see that, the, that it's on this business, it sort of gives them peace of mind and a credibility. It gives them credibility that they certainly do not deserve whatsoever. Mm. Although knowing some of the inclinations of the royal family and specifically, oh, let me just get it right, Prince Charles. Yes. It's not surprising because he's a very avid advocate for, for the uh, alternative uh, medicine and, and homeopathy specifically. I'm sure that Edzard Ernst didn't expect to be quoted on Mail Online, but there you go. He is uh, as an expert as well. So <laughs> uh-huh. there you go. Speaking out, speaking out against homeopathy. And it seems like the mail keeps uh, going. They've written on this topic a couple of times and they're really calling out individual homeopaths as well, who's promoting campaigns, anti-vaccination campaigns on Facebook and Twitter. And this is a huge platform. And if they can call those people out and make them either... So well, the one specific one was Linda Wicks, who was the chairman of Society of Homeopaths. So she was uh, promoting anti-vaccination movement. So they called her out and she was forced to issue an apology. Like, this is... We need more of that. We need to call people accountable and I think that's a great example of papers doing what they're supposed to do. Just never thought it will be mail online. <laughs> <laughs> no. no. I think there'll be more development around the status of Ainsworth Pharmacy and uh, where they're going to end up in terms of um, their accreditation, etc. Yep. Well, as long as they do have uh, all the necessary legal paperwork they will keep selling their products, which means they will survive. Mm. I'm not trying to be very pessimistic here. It's just... (laughs) You just are. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) All right. Speaking of uh, complementary and alternative medicine, two weeks ago, I talked about how the Swedish government had carried out an investigation and a study to look at the regulations in Sweden regarding CAM, or SCAM, that Ed Sodernes would call it, so-called alternative medicine, and how we, the Swedish skeptics, were very happy to be one of the organizations invited to comment on the, the new suggestions. Well, a handful of alt-med organizations have also come in with their views, and they're not so happy as we were. <laughs> a couple of them are positively foaming at the mouth, saying that uh, some suggestions violate human rights, are unconstitutional and illegal discrimination. And they don't really have any idea what they're talking about, because some district courts 
So legal experts have also submitted their views on the suggested regulations and they are very positive and say this is fine. So uh, there's nothing unconstitutional or illegal about any of this. So good times. I'm really feeling positive about this. I hope the Swedish government will take this to the next step and actually propose these laws to be um, accepted. That would be very good. But there's also these alt-med organizations. They also claim that CAM treatments such as homeopathy and chiropractic and acupuncture and healing, etc. are quote-unquote totally safe and harmless. And that is nonsense. We, for instance, pointed out in our reply on this investigation that there were three recent cases of acupuncture damage in Sweden with one death and two near deaths. I don't know how this... For me, I don't know, of course, how acupuncture is supposed to work. But when you do it so that people die because of blood filling up in the... What do you call that? The the sac around the heart. I don't know. the, the then you're pushing the, those needles a little bit too far, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the, the basic principle of, of acupuncture is just so insane. You're sticking needles inside somebody's body, expecting to do what exactly? I yeah, <laughs> just... yeah that's anyway. yeah, crazy. Especially if you push it. In the other two cases, there were they punctured their lungs. Two people <laughs> got... Again, it's not just pricking the skin, as I'm imagining it. This is really they driving go really it in. deep. Yeah, yeah. Wonder, in order in order for you to puncture someone's lungs, yeah, you have to go deep. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what the proponents of of acupuncture would tell you probably that those practitioners didn't really do it properly because you're not supposed to push it that far in. <laughs> yes. But how could, yes. And, and then you ask them, well, what is properly then? And know, how right? do you do it properly? What's and the measurement? Get... Have you got like a centimeters, millimeters? What do you like? Yeah, do, well... Have you dis- explored any of these options scientifically? <laughs> yeah, I know. And that's where their, their eyes will glaze over because they don't even know what the scientific method really means or... Yeah, yeah, but on the other hand, they are absolutely convinced that the meridians that they talk about, they exist. But there is no scientific proof that they exist at all. They are not the lymphatic system. They're not the the circulatory system. They're not the nervous system. They are absolutely something completely different based on the network that they use in their... Or whenever you go to practitioner's room, large pictures of of the human body with the meridians Mm. are displayed everywhere. So they are absolutely convinced that they exist, but there is no scientific evidence. Ah, that's because that there are it. that's because there are spiritual meridians. You're not supposed to oh, be able to be, see yes. them. It's a manifestation of the chi in your soul, in the body, or something. I, I don't know. Yeah, but then then it is just pure lying to the customers because the customers, based on what they see on those pictures, they have the wrong idea. Because yeah. the idea that they get into their, into their mind is that this is very scientifically proven. Yeah, yeah, that's which right. Which it is not. Yeah. And then, then there are the other studies that say that if you stick the needles in some cases, even if some really small, teeny tiny effect was shown, it was there regardless of how and where you stuck the needles. Yeah. There was no systematic 
structure to it whatsoever. Yeah, but it's not just the alt-med treatments that are actually dangerous, like like acupuncture can be. There's also the, yeah. the risk that you don't follow your conventional treatments if you also take an alt-med treatment because you feel, I'm already doing so much, so maybe I can skip a little bit of this because I'm doing the other stuff as well, so I'm still doing more than I should, blah, 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 blah. And then just the other day, there was in the news an item about a certified nurse who is running her own alt-med clinic, and she'd been regularly been, been treating children suffering from anxiety and depression with so-called bioresonance and the nurse said that oh. the, the nurse said that the treatment is based on quote unquote quantum physics and it involves getting rid of blockages in the body use, using dowsing rods and a metal plate and this is serious a 13 year old child had been encouraged to stop taking their antidepressant drugs because it could interfere with the bioresonance treatment so she's now being um, investigated and probably will lose her license but cam is dangerous and it need to be strictly regulated so going back to this investigation in sweden i really hope that it will translate into some real changes mm. Bioresonance. <laughs> that, that, that is something that, that that's based on the idea that everything resonates inside you. And if you're sick, that means that those vibrations inside your body are somehow misconnected or somehow misaligned with your body's regular vibrations. Bad so vibrations. You have, yeah, bad vibrations, yeah. So you have to realign them so that uh, you get cured. This is ridiculous. Yeah. Okay, but ridiculous things can still circulate. And uh, the most important platforms are the social media platforms where bullshit can be promoted. Well, even though there have been changes, a lot of them with regards to what can be advertised and uh, how uh, different media platforms flag bogus claims or claims that are not substantiated by evidence. And there are fact checkers, uh, there are independent fact checkers uh, that they allocate this um, task of identifying fake news to. However, and uh, recently it has been talked about extensively in the news that uh, Facebook is not willing to hold political advertisements to the same kind of scrutiny that any other kind of advertisement or posting fake news uh, will be held to. This seems to be a big issue now, because if political advertisements are not fact-checked, and based on the, the result of the fact-checking, they are not distinguished, and they can say whatever they want and even promote that, that will obviously have very serious consequences in upcoming elections in the US or any other country in the world. Now, obviously, the focus is on the US because of the, the upcoming elections, but it's not specific to the US. It's used worldwide by politicians. So, even though uh, there was a congressional hearing that uh, Mark Zuckerberg attended, and he specifically said that political free speech is so important that they will not touch political advertisements at all. And that is just ridiculous. I think it's based on Facebook trying to show a very neutral face to politics, but it's just not the right thing to do. So... Twitter seems to have 
come to the conclusion that they will have to lead in that. And they announced a couple of days ago that Twitter is banning all political advertisement from its services. So no political ads, no paid political ads uh, starting on the 22nd of November. They will get rid of all of them. Some people, even politicians, congratulated them on it. Mm-hmm. However, Mark Zuckerberg started to criticize Twitter for making that move. And now there is much pressure on Facebook to follow suit. Mm. Uh, nah, we will... <laughs> I, don't th- I don't think they will because Facebook is a land of liberals. I, I, I cannot see how they can stop the political. Okay, nah. but it doesn't stop there. Because even employees of Facebook have realized that it's an important thing to do. An open letter was sent to Mark Zuckerberg by a couple hundred employees expressed their concerns that Facebook will be considered the bad guys, so to speak. Mm. And uh, if political ads are not held to the same standards as other kinds of ads, that will lead to serious problems in the future. They, They specifically mentioned that people cannot necessarily distinguish between paid ads and unpaid posts Mm. so at least they need to be much clearer as to how to to flag a political ad that has been paid for they say that uh, at least even if they don't change the policies they need to update the way everything is displayed um, so that that it's clear that it's a paid ad I think it's a good sign that they have sent that letter to to Mark Zuckerberg, but I don't think he's the kind of guy who will change his mind very easily uh, Mm. once he has said something out loud uh, in the public. We'll see. It's interesting to see the totally different approaches Facebook versus Twitter here. Facebook saying, no, politics is so important that we're not going to censor anything. They have to, they can say whatever they want. And Twitter taking the opposite side saying, no, everything that politicians say are lies. So we're going to ban all of it. But so- Facebook is bullshitting. They don't let people say what they want. They, they censoring one side much heavier than the other. Full of shit. Mm. But... Um, no, no. I agree that they, they took very different approaches. But Twitter has been challenged in the past by a, a lot of people when they were asked, you know, which side are you on? Do you have, you can't take sides, political sides. And I think that's a fair enough uh, answer to say, okay, we're not going to have political advertisement. Mm. Yeah, but uh, I think it's the only clear way to go about this. They're not saying that politicians will not be allowed to express their opinions. It's just political advertising will be banned. And obviously, it's a a great source of revenue for Facebook, political advertisement. Sure. Every politician around the globe is using it. But there are issues. For example, not all countries observe that, but election silence periods exist in some countries. But you cannot do that with Facebook. No. I mean, do you do you silence a post on the day that that it is supposed to have an, an election silence period uh, for the last day or the last couple of days? How can you do that? How can you stop people from sharing those posts? And they don't necessarily see that it's an advertised post or not. But it's very important. And there is another reason why I support this move by Twitter. 
and that is that now it has become too easy for politicians to manipulate the public through advertisements. And they don't necessarily need, need to reach people in person and talk to people. Political advertisements do the job for them. And that has changed the complete political landscape and the way we go about trying to gain votes. Yeah, I think at least spending caps should be introduced by, by Facebook. And that's what uh, the employees say as well. All right. Because there are no caps. <laughs> You can spend as much as you want. Right. And you are spending the taxpayer's money. That's mm. the other thing, normally. Yeah. All right. Rent over. All right. Back to science for a second here. There's been a large-scale study in Sweden regarding pregnancy, and it was cancelled in October last year. But it makes the news now, because now the details have been or starting to become public. Uh, the study was a huge one, looking at uh, it was aiming to study 10,000 expecting mothers, and the aim was to investigate the pros and cons regarding inducing births in mothers who went over time. After consent to participate, the mothers were randomized into two groups. The first one got labor induced in week 42, if nothing else had happened, and another was waiting to week 43. And unfortunately, it didn't go so well. After six stillbirths in the second group and none in the first group, the study was halted due to ethical concerns, which, of course, you can understand. And I'll yeah. bring it up because it's inter it brings up two different things here. First of all, that there are some studies that are very hard to do. <laughs> Uh, this example here is not something you can do in a test tube or in mice models or something. In a way, you have to see what happens in a human body because it's a very important fact to know whether you should induce birth or not, if it's a positive thing or not. Waiting too long is obviously, and now we know even more, apparently very risky, but uh, inducing labor too early is not without potential risk too. So we do need to know. So it's a dilemma for some questions in, in science. But the other thing that it brings up is that it's strange that it has taken so long for the researchers to come out with their data when it seems rather urgent and rather clear that uh, this is a question of life and death. And even now, the research data is not public, but what's come out is part of a doctoral thesis uh, written by one of the researchers. And this doesn't sound right to me. If the findings are so bad that they have to terminate the study, then they should go public immediately and say, hey, stop, we should consider yeah. this. Uh, don't wait too long with inducing births because it is dangerous. Yeah, it, it, it really looks um, somehow unethical. To, yeah. to I, I think we will hear more about this in, in, the, in the fu this particular study in the future because it raises these concerns. Yeah. Ooh. Well... There are other concerns as well. So I'm pretty sure that um, we have something that we had to move into the segment that is called Really Wrong. So let's talk about that, shall we? All right. So let's go bananas for a second and talk about GMO. There are over, and now talk about bananas, there are over 1,000 different types of bananas in the world. but the common sweet banana that we're all used to in uh, to seeing in the grocery stores belongs to only one variety, the Cavendish. Yeah. 
There used to be another variety that is said to have tasted even better. The Gros Michel, or Big Mike as it was called. Unfortunately, the Gros Michel got afflicted by a fungus epidemic in the early 1900s. And this fungus caused what's called the Panama disease, which killed off the plants. And sometime in the 50s, the Gros Michel was history and we had to settle for the also good, but not quite as tasty Cavendish. Well, I think a lot of listeners may have heard this. History is now repeating itself because the fungus has changed and it's now afflicting also the Cavendish variety. All right, so why why all of this talk about bananas? Well, scientists in Australia actually have fixed the Cavendish problem. They did it two years ago when they demonstrated that by adding some gene into the Cavendish via GMO technique, they have created a Cavendish banana that was resistant to the Panama disease. So the problem is solved, right? Not really, because in Australia and in many, many countries around the world, it's illegal to sell GMO edited food. So the Australian researchers are now working to accomplish the same exact change in the DNA by using CRISPR technology instead of GMO technology. And the difference is that in CRISPR, you don't add a gene into the organism. You don't add anything from the outside. You just edit the DNA that's already there. But the end result that you want is exactly the same and totally identical. So that's crazy in my opinion. So the plant doesn't care how you changed the gene, only what you did. And I, in my opinion, so should we. Here in Europe, it's even worse. Even if the Australian scientists would solve the Cavendish problem once again using CRISPR this time instead of GMO, we here in Europe would still not be able to benefit from it because EU decided last year, and we talked about that then, that against all logic, CRISPR should be regarded as the same as GMO. And therefore, these new bananas would be banned from sales in Europe if they can make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's the same in America. Yeah. Soon enough, there'll be no bananas. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And the, the craziest, even crazier still, is that if the same scientist would be able to achieve the exact same results using chemical manipulation instead, or by radioactive treatments, which is much, much more difficult to, and, and imprecise, but if they could do it, that would be quite okay in Europe. Because even though the bananas would be exactly identical down to the smallest gene and DNA, one kind would be banned because it was produced using a, a forbidden method and the other one would be okay. Mm, yeah. Uh, so I just want to bring it up. The, the, this Cavendish example just shows how, how stupid it can get when regulations are not based in clear thinking and science, but instead decided by unfounded bullshit and irrational fear. Fear, yes, that's it. Yes, this, I think, is a clear example of how you can keep up with evolution. Because mm. the, the whole problem originates from evolution happening in real time. It becomes an arms race between a fungus and us trying to defend the product that we want to keep. Cavendish was defeated by the fungus. And this arms race, we can only win or be one step ahead if we are allowing ourselves to apply methods like CRISPR mm. or or GMO for that matter, I don't care. But we need to be a couple of steps ahead of evolution happening in real time. But with banning 
these technologies, which is to tie our hands and say that, oh, we, we, we're going to fight with our hands tied back. Yeah. It's like one of the, the Steven Seagal movies was there <laughs> when... I think it keep uh, it keeps reminding me of that when then then he said that you know what I'm gonna kneel down here I'm gonna put my hands back at the back and I'm still gonna win yeah, yeah. it happens in a Steven Seagal movie because he always wins but in <laughs> in real life it's not like that yeah we can't fight with one banana behind our back right <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, at uh, least we have to have one in uh, uh, oh no no okay no, no, no but, I'm not gonna go, go there but also <laughs> I think there's one misconception in the public perception of this because if you say it was produced using GMO it was produced using CRISPR it's not like every banana you take in your hand has been manipulated what you do is you manipulate one strain of bananas in this case and when you're happy with the result, then you breed them just as normal. But I think people feel that these are being all the bananas are being uh, produced in a lab somewhere using shady things. It, you just do the change once, and then you just grow them as any normal banana. And yeah, I don't think the, people think about it, it like yes. that. Yeah. Yeah, but that that makes it vulnerable as well. So the mm -hmm. reason why the Cavendish could not fight the fungus was because basically, genetically, there was no genetic variation or not enough genetic variation yeah. in the banana population. Genetic variation is needed for evolution to go through the process of changing yeah. for the better. Yeah, but, but bananas is so fucked up anyway because <laughs> the bananas that we are eating, they don't reproduce sexually. You, you, yes. they, they, they don't have any yes. uh, any functioning yeah. seeds at all so you just take clones basically or you take what do you call that you take a little bit of a plant and you put it in another pot and then so, yeah, so there's no there is a name for it yeah yeah so there's no uh, there's no evolution occurring naturally and that is a problem of course uh, with any variety of anything if you do it that way but anyway uh, I, I still think we should be able to use GMO and CRISPR. And uh, I, I, I do think, I feel that I may have given the, the EU GMO CRISPR regulations the, the really wrong award uh, once before. But for this latest example of going completely bananas, they again get this week's prize for being really wrong. Yay! And again, deservedly so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. And uh, I think we are getting close to the end of the show. But before we go, uh, I'd like to ask you, Yelena, to share a quote with us. So I came across this quote by sheer coincidence. And it just made me think of the current political climate and all these that you know stuff that goes down in the world it's a good quote i think anyway the quote is from horace walpole who was an english writer art historian and a man of letters and many other things so he said i have often said and often think that this world is a comedy to those that think a tragedy to those that feel a solution of why democritus laughed and heraclitus wept I guess for those who know the Greek philosophers, Democritus and Heraclitus, Litus, I don't really know them. But I like the first part about the comedy and the tragedy. And so it's good to have that perspective. Yeah. 
You know Democritus, who, who, who that was? He was the first one to formulate an atomic theory Aha. of the so, universe. So he was yeah. the one who was thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah, and yeah, the, yeah. He, this Heraclitus guy, he was the one who was feeling, but I don't know. And, and it all happened in the 5th century BC. So it was absolutely amazing. Yes. I don't know much about Heraclitus. Um, uh, Pre-Socratic Ionian Greek philosopher, the Obscure. Due to the oracular and paradoxical nature of his philosophy. Okay, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> we're, not, we're not reading Wikipedia live here, or, or line by line. Yeah, no, definitely not. Well, we might. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, Democritus. I, I know only that about Democritus, but I think it was a great achievement. I don't know much about Heraclitus. But thank you for the quote, Yelena. Alrighty. And uh, indeed, thank you very much for joining me, the both of you, today. Thank you. And I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Baka baka. Bye bye. Vislat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Antiquarian? 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 Mm-hmm. Antiquarian, yeah. I might not I might not say that. Well, what if they cross bananas and monkeys and then we eat them and become half bananas? <laughs> According to some, it has already happened. <laughs> <laughs>